For all the negative coverage and misrepresentation that video games receive, the reality is very different. For most of us, games are a hugely positive influence on our lives, particularly in the area of mental health and well-being. The biggest thing that video games do for me is the connection with other people. And so it's a way to have fun and a chance for me as an extrovert to spend time talking for hours with people who I would never sit on the phone with for a couple hours. But we can game together and also talk about our days and what's going on in our lives. For me, I'm all about that single player uh, experience where it is a bit of escapism and something I can really just sink my teeth into without that feeling of failure or the feeling of like being on a tightrope like most of life is. It's actually just a place you can actually enjoy yourself. That's the pull for me. Just a heads up, we will be touching on topics like depression and anxiety in this episode from the perspectives of two people with similar but contrasting experiences. We'll look at the ways in which games have helped them through some struggles in their lives and what the research and science says about how games influence our mental state. I'm James Parkinson. From Lawson Media, this is Gameplay. Stories about video games and the virtual worlds that power culture and community. Games are playful spaces. They're playful social spaces. Play in and of itself is associated with reduced stress, reduced depression, the releasing of endorphins, increased creativity. And then when you play together, all of these things are socially reinforced. So I think a lot of times we think of games as kind of, you know, I don't know, this evil technology that's coming to take over the lives of our children. But if we look at kind of its base components, it's a fun social interactive space. My name is Dr. Rachel Cohort. I am a research psychologist and the research director for Take This, which is the first mental health nonprofit that has worked specifically with gaming communities and the gaming industry. I have been studying games and gamers for more than 10 years uh, with a specific focus on media effects. So how games impact us physically, socially, and psychologically. In addition to her work in this field, Rachel is also a gamer herself. The science always comes first, but she has a deep understanding of what it means to play games and the kinds of social spaces that exist around them. When Rachel was studying to become a therapist, her experience speaking to parents made her shift the focus of her career. So I was seeing parent after parent after parent come in saying, my kids are playing a lot of World of Warcraft and I'm really concerned. And at the time I was playing so much World of Warcraft. So I started being like, oh no, like is something like, am I hindering myself, right? Like, am I doing something that's going to have long-term repercussions. Um, And at the time, game studies was not a field of research. Uh, So that's when I decided to pivot 
my studies away from becoming a clinician and towards doing research to generate that information to then give to parents and also a little selfish because I was really concerned <laughs> about myself as well. Um, I think it makes a huge difference having a familiarity with it. And I will be clear that I have been accused of like, oh, you, of course you, you say games are good for mental health because you play games and you love games. I 1000% got into this field thinking I would find negative effects for sure. No question. Um, but I'm very much a go with the numbers say, what does the science say? What does the research say? And, you know, these kind of moral panic claims about games ruining our lives or being, you know, grossly bad for our mental health, it's just not supported by the research. And if it was, I would tell you, I promise. Um, so, I mean, I, that is true. And I think it's important that I have the experience in what games are and what they are not, because it's fear of the unknown that drives a lot of this kind of misperception, right? Obviously, games can never be a replacement for professional treatment. But just like going to the gym or hanging out with friends might help someone to reduce stress and manage anxiety, for a lot of people, games can do that too. Games are tools, just like anything else. They're technology, just like all the technologies that came before them. And at the end of the day, their impact is generally more good than bad. At the very least, it's neutral. You know, as humans, we've been playing since the beginning of time. Uh, it's critical, not only in childhood, but also in adulthood, to have something fun and frivolous uh, that we are engaged in. So as I mentioned before, play in and of itself is associated with reduced depression, reduced anxiety, releasing of endorphins. Socialization is another natural stress reliever that's key to our psychological well-being and associated with a range of physical benefits, even like longevity and increased immunity system, greater cognitive functioning, um, improved mood, reduced depression, and a reduced sense of loneliness. There is this theory called mood management theory, and that's kind of what I go to when I talk a lot about how games can help with things like depression, which is a mood disorder. There's a lot of research looking at entertainment media as a coping strategy for negative emotions. So if we're bored, we watch an exciting television program, or if we're stressed, we watch a relaxing television program. Uh, and games kind of work the same way. For example, Animal Crossing, which I've been talking about all pandemic because Animal Crossing has been my mood management tool for the last year, right? It's cute, it's colorful, it's low pressure. Um, and through that, it's creative, we can play it and, and improve our mood, we actually feel an improved mood and re stress reduction through these kind of creative hobbies that these virtual worlds are providing us. So it's the games itself, like Animal Crossing and its mechanics. It's also the social uh, aspect of these games. And then together it creates a magic concoction um, that's really good for mood management and repair. The social part is hugely important. We're more connected than ever these days, and playing online with friends has become so integral to the way we experience games. But it's also one of the most misunderstood aspects of gaming culture. Older generations, the ones above me, not me, because I understand, because I'm hip with the kids, right? Um, think that these relationships are not real relationships. And what you don't understand is for a lot of us playing games, we play games with people we know, for instance, a lot of people play games with their friends at school or with other family members. But even if you're playing with quote unquote strangers, um, there's been a lot of research finding that people 
relate to their internet friends just as they relate to their friends up the road. Uh, between 40 and 70% of players report discussing offline issues with their online friends, including concerns they haven't discussed with other people. So people not only view their online relationships as meaningful, these online spaces are providing a method of communicating important personal topics with others. And I also like to mention that online relationships can be as strong or stronger than our traditional face-to-face relationships because trust is formed, I like to say that it's formed backwards because in games, you know if you can trust someone before you get to know them. Did you help me kill that dragon or did you not heal me and let me die? Okay, so can I trust you or can I not? And then over time, I get to know you. So it's, they're emotionally jump-started. So these friendships can come very close very quickly. And if you ask people what they mean to you, they say, oh, these friendships are as real or more real than any other friendship I have, which again, from the outside looking in, People tend to think those aren't real friendships. They don't provide a real social value, but they absolutely do. In making this episode, I wanted to hear from people about the positive impacts games have had on their mental health. So I put a call out and got a few responses, and one of them was Alex Page. As someone who has experienced uh, you know, a range of ups and downs mental health-wise for most of my adult life, the end of 2020 just knocked me out. Like, I was cooked. I was exhausted. And so a lot of the um, classic signs of depression come through where uh, no motivation, pushing the, the rock up the hill infinitely and just feel like no purpose, stuck, whatever. And in January, I uh, thought, why not add to my misery and finally beat Dark Souls 1? <laughs> and, um, <laughs> oh, my God. Alex is a 30-year-old from Sydney, he's a sociologist, and he's been playing games most of his life. He's also had depression since he was young. I, I think uh, first diagnosed when I was a young man, on and off um, since my early teens. And basically the, the practical results of that, um, without reading out my diary to you, is um, that... There are periods of my life where things are very, very difficult for me to move, basically. Not fi- not just physically, I mean mentally. It feels like I'm walking through sand. Um, existential questions, pointlessness, uh, automatic thinking, which is you know extremely negative, relationships, burnout, a sense of like overwhelming hopelessness, but no one to blame. There's no reason for it. It just hits you out of nowhere. Alex goes to therapy and is fortunate to have a great support network of family and friends around him. But he says games have also been really helpful in managing his mental health, like his experience playing Dark Souls. Dark Souls is a now genre-defining kind of classic game. It's like an action RPG, right? There's a lot of RPG elements um, in terms of like, you know, I don't want to push up my glasses here, but it is like you're getting armor with different effects. You're getting like swords, you're getting shields, etc. But the main thing it really does is it's a death simulator. So it's really f- difficult, but it's not intentionally difficult in a way that's unfair. It is every time you die, you know why you die and it's your fault. Essentially, you've got to figure out basically the puzzles to survive it. And so basically you're, you're running through a series of, of levels 
um, fighting harder and harder enemies and trying to get to the next checkpoint, which is a bonfire in this game. But if you die on the way there, you lose all of your progress and go back to the last checkpoint. So the aim is to get through, kill enough things or run your ass off and survive to the next point in order to use your experience points to actually level up and get stronger. So after the difficult year that was 2020, Alex chose this super challenging, frustrating game as his outlet. And I just got stuck in that loop of, I think I must have burnt through it in about 60 hours, but it was it was suffering and um, choosing to experience suffering in a way that was controlled and hard and painful, but really engaging, like the sweats, the sitting forward, like actually have given me physiological responses. And even with um, the lack of understanding of the law, there really was for me a sense of like, um, I don't know, just being in my own head and the depression kicking on and, and Dark Souls acting as the most, probably one of the most overt metaphors for overcoming depression I think I've ever experienced in a video game. Like it literally is about like, do you push on through fear and risk and potential death uh, in order to reach the next bonfire, which is the most, for me, obvious parallel to depression, right? Where every day is really difficult, things that don't have meaning all of a sudden now in Dark Souls have extreme meaning. Like walking around this doorway in any other game would just be, I'm going to go to the next room, right? And in this one, it's, I'm going to walk... I'm going to walk into this tiny box with the Capra demon for the 6th, 7th, 20th, 40th time. He's going to smash me to bits, but I've just got to do it again. I've just got to know if I can do this. And that feeling really, really pulls you through, right? So I'm suffering through the entirety of Dark Souls 1. I finish it. I feel pretty accomplished with myself. You know, like, wow, this is is a good feeling. And um, I guess there's heaps of stuff on that, right? The, The idea that Dark Souls is that finding meaning in an infinitely bleak world where the existential questions are asked of you every time you die. Why do you continue? Uh, is it for the souls? Is it for to see how far you can go? Like, what is the? Re- it, it makes you ask, why am I doing this to myself the entire time? Which I really loved about it. Then I found out my best mate, who um, my best mate, Steph, he uh, has a PS4 and he's like, I'm going to start Dark Souls 3. And I was like, okay, let's dive into this. I'm really excited for you to die with me, basically. (laughs) And suffer, right? Because the whole thing is about finding meaning in suffering, for us anyway. And um, again, he doesn't know about the law. I don't know about any of the story. All we see in Dark Souls 3, the whole thing is world in collapse. The disrepair has gotten to this point where everything, the fire is fading out and your job is to basically reignite as long as you can go, right? Alex was ready for another challenge, and this time he wouldn't be facing it alone. Connecting with friends in Dark Souls, though, is a little different to most games. The thing, the cooperative thing, the really interesting cooperative thing, which I love about this game, is that it hasn't got, I love and hate, it hasn't got the menu which you click co-op. You're either online or offline. The way your friends get in contact with you, right, is they'll put a sign on the floor. It's called a, like a white soapstone, so they'll, they'll make a little mark on the floor in their game. And it pops up in yours, and you can basically summon them from that sign. And that's the way they connect these worlds together. It's very cool. 
often doesn't work, whether it's for level differences or um, you've already beaten the boss in an area and um, you can't summon your friend into that till you get to the next one. So it's not like this continuous play. It's a constant fight just to be connected, which Dark Souls nerds will claim this is part of the, the lore and the story. And people like me go, can we just hang out with each other in this game? But it also adds to that pressure, right? When you finally get connected, you're like, oh, Jesus, which is a lot like life, right? <laughs> like, oh, a person I can exist with and combat the world with. And so what it does for me anyway, the big revelation for me was having the friend put down the the white soapstone and he's your best mate and it finally works and I can summon him into my world to go and beat this boss that I've the dancer that I've been dying on for three days was revelatory man it was like like when you win it's a genuine sense of joy it's a genuine sense of achievement, right? Which I know that the Dark Souls people will be like, yeah, of course. But coming from solo play, which is my entire gaming history, basically, except for a bit of COD with my wife for fun, that solo play and having someone finally like, no, this is suffering together, I think that's a really important component of that experience for me. So that's what we did. We basically beat the game in like, I think, two weeks and... We annoyed both of our partners and wives because we'd stay up to 2 a.m. We're talking and chatting the entire time about our lives while getting the, basically getting our ass handed to us. It was not easy. It was really, really hard. But in doing it in collaboration was a total like reprieve. And when it ended, it was so apparent to me of that feeling of like relief, which I got from the first game. But because of the collaboration, it was like, the most, and we were even talking about this, how overt the parallel is between both of our lives and us going through mental all the time and realizing how good cooperation, collaboration can be in essentially a meaningless world. So, all of those existential questions that the game's putting to you, we're doing it together and we're suffering together. The online elements give it just enough hope in working with other people that it makes it that difficulty and the repetition of the death way more meaningful and that is what i pulled out of it as the positive aspect of it it was the most obvious like this sucks and you can do it by yourself you can wade through the pain if you want like if that's what you're into great but if you want to you want to do it together in a way that's just the boss's health gets amplified every time you add another person to the co-op like it doesn't make it easier it actually makes it sometimes harder but overcoming together i think is the really big thing for me You might be wondering, like I was, why someone would put themselves through so much frustration when they're already dealing with a lot in their life. But for Alex, that was the whole idea. It is the question, but that's the point. It's the, For me, it's all about, I could just play Miles Morales, the Spider-Man game that came out with the PS5, right? And I just got, it just disengaged me. Like, it, it was a great game, looked amazing. You know, they've done everything right, but... The thing that these games do is they put such pressure on you to focus, to concentrate, that you actually get your whole body involved. Like your whole your whole body is tense. You are embodying the stress and the anxiety, but also the, the winds of the thing. And in cooperation, that's amplified, right? So that positivity of we did it is really, really felt. You're also um, having that play experience at the same time where you're not just watching 
some horrific um, World War II documentary or some a horrific film which deals with a really, really nuanced emotional problem that destroys your week, you are making the meaning out of a tough situation that doesn't try and tell you why it's tough. It doesn't actually force that law onto you. You get to set the parameters of why you choose to do this. That is an amazing thing. And whether it was, you know, conscious or not, I think that allowing the, you to deal with the existential question of why do we suffer? Why do we go through pain? Why do we push through despite things being initially terrifying? It is like, a full on like heart rate raising. Okay. I've just got to, just got to try. Like there's no point running away. There's no way to run. I've just got to have a go. That is an amazing feeling for a video game to pull out of me. You know, in COD, I can just get shot in the head infinitely as I do and be like, okay, I'll just respawn. Let's just give it another go. This is like, wait, if I die, there's a weight to it. And that, that's the feeling I really get out of those games. I really enjoy that aspect. We all have different tastes in games, and that includes the reasons why we play what we play and what we get out of them. For Alex, embodying his feelings in the tense experience of Dark Souls gives him the relief he's looking for. For others, that might be too much to handle. Here's Rachel. Yeah, and it depends on the person. So uh, some people really like first-person shooter games for stress release, right, as I mentioned. For me, that just makes my life worse if I play first-person shooter games. I like simulation games. I like Animal Crossing. I like Stardew Valley. Um, I like those sorts of slow-paced games. So there's absolutely differences, and what works for one person doesn't necessarily work for the other. And maybe some are better at fostering it, like I mentioned Animal Crossing, um, because it's so low pressure and it's also so social and it's easy to kind of come in and come out of it. So yeah, you'll never get me off the Animal Crossing soapbox. I love that game so much. Yeah, many people prefer a more relaxed vibe when they're feeling depressed or anxious, like Danielle, who also finds comfort in games like Animal Crossing. So the thing with anxiety and depression is I feel like they do normally come packaged together, but they are completely different in the way that they um, show themselves. So whether I'm feeling anxious compared to if I'm feeling depressed, I'm looking for something different with video games. If I'm feeling really anxious, then usually I want to go for a game where I'm either with people, so maybe playing StarCraft or Fortnite with some of my friends, um, or games where I feel like I can have control because part of the anxiety is not having control of with the world around you. And obviously video games gives an opportunity for you to be in the driver's seat and have full control over almost all of your outcomes. And games, especially where I can, like Animal Crossing or Stardew Valley, something where I can kind of go through tasks and feel like I'm achieving things or where I can play a game with my friends and not only talk those things out and work those things out, but work as a team and try and go for first place and feel really good that I'm achieving things. Now, if I'm feeling depressed, I probably don't want to be interacting with other people as much. So that's where playing a good RPG or something that I can just kind of do without any high pressure is something that I would play or um, a mobile game where I can lay in bed and play just as a way to kind of recharge my batteries and get some energy back 
and kind of work through everything. Danielle Woodring lives in the Atlanta, Georgia area with her husband and two kids. Video games have always been part of her life. It's a hobby she shares with her husband and now with their kids as well. And during life's most challenging moments, Danielle turns to games to help her through it. That's next on Gameplay. As an independent podcast, listener support is incredibly important for gameplay. So if the show is valuable to you, please consider becoming a gameplay member. Memberships are just five US dollars a month or 50 US dollars a year. You'll receive an ad-free podcast feed, bonus content, and I'll personally send you a gameplay sticker pack. There is a free tier as well if you're not in a position to contribute monetarily, but if you can, you'll be actively helping to make the podcast sustainable so I can continue to bring you stories you care about. Sign up now at gameplay.co slash membership. Thanks. Danielle Woodring has long dealt with anxiety. While she didn't always recognise it or understand it for what it was, it came to the fore during pregnancy. So um, when I was pregnant with my second kid, I was officially diagnosed with anxiety and depression issues and especially postpartum depression. I have been in therapy and on medication, which has been incredibly helpful And I've grown a lot with all of that. Um, The post-baby time really brought it to the surface. But after going through therapy, I see that especially anxiety is something that I have struggled with my whole life pretty much. Um, And the thing with anxiety is it can easily hide itself as something else. So I always called it me being type A or a high achiever. And my anxiety did help me excel at things I was doing. It made me strive for a lot. It it helped me get management positions at a young age or be president of the clubs in college or get into certain programs that I wanted. But now through medication and therapy, I've learned to have that drive still without all of the fear and um, like sadness that can come with it when you're not achieving everything all the time. And Danielle says that games help her in numerous ways too, from managing her mood to connecting with friends and being an outlet for her competitive nature. They also provided a huge comfort when experiencing grief. When my son was a year old and I was halfway through my pregnancy with my daughter, my brother-in-law passed away. And we had been really privileged and had never experienced loss. Um, I hadn't even lost a grandparent. I'd never been to a funeral. There was nothing I had really experienced like that. And at the time, we didn't even have internet in our apartment, and we were very, very busy with our little baby. And so we hadn't been gaming in a while. But our downstairs neighbor that we were really good friends with, Anna realized that we needed a distraction 
and she knew that we used to be really big into PC gaming. And since we didn't have internet, we couldn't do that. So she brought up one of her old consoles and brought up Guitar Hero and Portal and some other games that brought back a sense of nostalgia, um, something that we were already kind of familiar with. And it would be something that we could easily sit on the couch and work through together and just kind of keep our minds off of things. Um, Because when something like that happens, it is nice to have a distraction. You do want to process everything and you don't want, I know we throw around like escapism a lot with video games and I definitely think it has its place, but you don't want to completely pull yourself away from reality and never process anything. But at the same time, you can't just cry all day long. So it was it was really kind of her and really interesting. And someone else had sold us a Wii for really cheap at the same time so we could go back and play Lego Harry Potter and games we had played when we were younger. And, you know, some people bring you food <laughs> when you're going through something tragic like that or offer babysitting or things like that. And the fact that she knew us and knew that gaming could give us a sense of peace, a sense of normalcy, and it was a shared interest with my husband and I. So the fact that we could sit there and video games, unlike movies, can keep you engaged. So our minds weren't wandering off um, thinking about my brother-in-law's passing, but instead we could just kind of be working through these tasks together, like in Portal, and, and going through these games together where it brought back a sense of like comfort because it's something we're familiar with and it, it is a good distraction and that's that's that at the end of the day. Some people go to comfort food and we went to comfort gaming. While the COVID-19 pandemic saw a rise in moral panic opinion pieces about the supposed dangers of video games for our mental health, so many of us were able to cope because we had games and online communities to turn to during periods of lockdowns and isolation. So in the beginning of the pandemic, it was probably like by April 2020 when the world was spinning out of control. Um... Obviously, someone with anxiety, <laughs> even for people with without anxiety, a pandemic is hard. But I needed another way to regain some control because at that point, my kids were supposed to be in school. So I was homeschooling. And the only thing that was even semi-consistent to a pre-pandemic world was I was still working out every day, but it was just through Zoom. So... What I did is I scoured eBay for our old Wii to find a physical copy of Animal Crossing City Folk, and I played that from pretty much April until almost Christmas of 2020, and that goes back to not just having control, but the nostalgia was great. It was a game I already knew. It was something that wasn't stressful. The rest of the world was stressing me out, and it was something that it was familiar. It's repetitive. For me as a checklist person, I printed off a checklist of all the items that I needed to get, and every day I would check them off 
Um, I was trying to collect all of them. And it was something that gave me a sense of normalcy in a world that didn't feel normal. And my kids could be around me. Um, If I'm reading a book, I usually want a quiet room to myself. But that wasn't going to happen in a world where all of a sudden we were all in the house 24-7. So to be able to have something like a video game where I could sit in the living room and play and the kids can be there with me and watching me or just playing on their own and we could all kind of interact without being up in each other's business was really nice. This has been by far the most difficult thing I've ever gone through, especially the longevity of it. Uh, usually when a crisis occurs um, or something terrible, like like we had discussed when my brother-in-law passed away, at that point, the grieving, what we were going through, um, how it completely put our lives on hold for multiple weeks, uh, we still knew at the end of the day, okay, We have lots of people telling us that they've gone through similar things and that it will get better and we'll get through this. But at the beginning of the pandemic, we didn't know how long it was going to last and if this was going to be our lives for years or how long we had to endure. So it was extremely difficult. And now we have found a new balance now that we've been in this for so long. Uh, Probably about the six months ago, we really hit a good stride That's when I reconnected with a lot of my old high school friends, a lot of my old gaming friends. We built a really nice PC for me (laughs) with all of the new uh, graphics cards and CPUs that came out. So I was able to play everything, very immersive, get back into games like Skyrim and Fortnite and things that I could play and really enjoy the details and immerse myself in those worlds and do it with friends really has helped us through the rest of this up until now, now that we're vaccinated and now we're just waiting for the vaccine to be available for our kids. But it's really been gaming every night, being on Discord every day with our gamer friends that has gotten us through this. For parents who don't play games or didn't grow up with them, it can often be a confusing world to navigate with kids. But for Danielle and her family, gaming is very much a family activity and provides a lot of opportunities for education and socialising. So our kids are four and six right now. And any time that we can do something with them that they also enjoy doing is a win. It's hard to find common ground sometimes. Um, I like building with Legos, but I hate playing pretend with action figures. So there's only so many hours that I want to be on the floor playing with them. And there's only so many times that they want to play one of my favorite board games or or something. And and we do play board games, but, you know, um, with video games... It really feels like an opportunity to play things with my husband and with my young kids. I'm happy to hop on Roblox with them, and they will get on Creative in Fortnite with me or even StarCraft. And the fact that it's a way to have them interact with me for two hours and talk through Discord or they'll sit on the laptop in the same room, but... The fact that we can interact and talk and work together 
it's such a nice casual way without grilling them about their day. If I'm playing Roblox with my six-year-old for an hour, he's going to talk about things like school or things that came up in his day without me sitting and grilling him. How was your day? Who, you know, who did you hang out with? What did you do? And I really enjoy that aspect of it. I think games are fun and I'm glad that they think games are fun. And I think it's an enjoyable thing to do as a family. We also like doing things like we're playing through Dragon Quest Eleven right now, which is an older RPG, and it's a one-player, but we all enjoy watching. We enjoy doing the storyline together. We enjoy things where we can make decisions as a family. Okay, should we go fight this person, or do you think we should try this other quest? It's something where one of the adults can take over when something harder is going on, but then the kids can take over the controls and grind out some battles with easy monsters. And it's just something where we can interact and talk, unlike watching a movie or a TV show together where you're pretty much just sitting there quietly. We're still on a screen, but we're constantly interacting with each other. While some parents may be cautious about introducing games to their kids, Danielle and her husband make a point of staying informed and try to pass on the same benefits of games they experience to their own children. So even though they're four and six, we definitely, this is something that we think about and talk about. Uh, We're very research-based in our decision-making. I love having this in common with them, and I hope it continues. We continue to like to game, and just like my parents would hang out with me and my friends, and we'd listen to really cool record albums, and that was something we had in common, I'm hoping as they continue to get older that we can still play games with them and hang with them and they can show us new games and we're trying to be engaged with what they're interested in. And if this is interesting to them, then we're happy to have them play with us. And my kids are using video games during the pandemic in order to engage with other kids. They're playing video games with my friends' kids or with my little cousins. And it's a way for them to get to talk to people. And it's also a way for me to stay engaged in their friend group because I'm playing Fortnite with my friend's kids and those kids' friends. So like it's I kind of know what's going on in their elementary school because I'm playing with my friend and these other elementary school kids. And so if that's something that we can continue to do and stay engaged in our kids' lives and get to know their friends through things like playing online video games with them, That's great in my book. When you're struggling with mental health issues, it can be challenging to explain to some people how games are helping you, not hindering you. And you kind of expect that with, say, older family members who maybe don't understand games. But that's a battle you don't want to have with your therapist. Alex says for him, that was initially a difficult conversation. Over the years, this has been therapy in different kinds of ways with different types of, um, you know, clinical psychologists, counsellors, etc. My most recent interactions with a psychologist during during COVID, I was trying to explain to her, um, and she's like credentialed to the extreme top of her field, a gun psych, right, has been really helpful. 
But the the gap in knowledge, the only gap in knowledge that we have that I have to try and really explain is the gaming element. Because immediately, I think we jump to, he's playing because he's addicted, because he's not in a good way right now. Or this is potentially dangerous because it's sucking all of his time away. Or why would you put yourself through something that's, you know, trying to explain like the masochism of a Dark Souls and why it's fun. And often I have to do this this work where I say, okay, there might be elements where, okay, I spent five hours straight playing this thing on a, a night before I have to go back to work the next day. Not a smart choice. At the same time, I didn't have to communicate with anyone except for in this particular world. I could just focus on a task that, you know, I don't have to feel that failure. It's just another... I can learn to, to, to grapple with failure as just something that happens. And this is a space to just, you know, violently maul everything with the biggest sword I could find and just get that out. And then I have to explain sometimes that is a really, really good feeling, right? It's a really good feeling to just, it's emotional regulation, essentially. It doesn't like substitute your actual real life, um, but it does give you a chance to experience something outside of yourself while also working with your your mental state at the time. So it's really, really weird. It's like this, like, I know I'm going through some I don't feel very good, but it felt really good to smash that up for a minute. And that is that is the kind of thing I try and uh, try and talk about. I'll talk to my therapist, yes, about gaming. And I'm very open with, people about using gaming as a coping strategy. I think one of the issues is when people talk about screen time and being in your room on the computer, I think that they're thinking of it as an instead of, instead of an also. Like when people are gaming, this is you continuing to interact. People assume that when you're talking about gaming, that it's just the only thing you do, but it's it's just the bonus way to interact with people. It's not, you're not gaming instead of interacting with them, you're gaming in order to interact with them. Sometimes it can feel like the moral panic around games will never go away, but I think it is starting to change, if very slowly. Sharing stories like Alex and Danielle's can hopefully help to dispel some of those stereotypes and generalizations. But most importantly, it's listening to the science. So there's this theory called self-determination theory, which is a theory of human motivation. It says we're driven by the need to feel autonomous, to make our own decisions, to feel connected, to feel related um, to other people, and to have a sense of achievement that we're accomplishing something. And games tick all three of those boxes. So that's why games are so great at making us feel this sense of stress release or this sense of accomplishment, because we can go into a game and we can toil our farm and we feel like we've achieved something, right? We can connect with our our friends, can join us on our farm, and now we have that sense of relatedness. And we also have a sense of autonomy. We can go where we want or we can choose to play what game that we want. And over the last year... These three kind of basic needs that we have as humans, being autonomous, feeling a sense of achievement and feeling connected, have been 
vastly lowered <laughs> from the COVID-19 pandemic. So that's another reason I think that games have become so popular over the last year. Generally, that's a way of understanding how they can contribute positively to our psychological well-being. Um, and why I also keep framing games as tools, because games are tools that allow us to meet these needs. They can supplement um, our ability to have these needs met in our day-to-day -day lives. Thanks so much to Dr. Rachel Cohen. If you'd like to learn more about Rachel's work and the research around mental health and games, you'll find links on this episode's page on our website, gameplay.co. You can also tap through the direct link on the episode description in your podcast app. And if this episode brought up any issues for you, we also have links to support services. There is always help available. Thanks also to Alex Page and Danielle Woodring for sharing their stories. Alex and Danielle are both listeners to the show and got in touch on Twitter and Discord after I posted a call out for stories. And if you have a story you think would be a great fit for gameplay, whether it's your own personal story or something else entirely from the world of games, please get in touch. You can reach me directly via email, james at gameplay.co. Gameplay is a production of Lawson Media. This episode was written and produced by me, James Parkinson. The gameplay theme was composed by Breakmaster Cylinder. Our artwork is by Keegan Sanford and additional music from Blue Dot Sessions and Breakmaster Cylinder. You can follow the show on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook at Gameplay Podcast. We also have a Discord, so come and hang out and talk games with us. And please take a moment to leave a review on Apple Podcasts. It's a great way to encourage others to check out the show. And I do read every single review, so I'd love to hear from you. For more from Gameplay, including episode transcripts, further reading and all the links, head on over to our website, gameplay.co. Thanks for listening.